0: You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HT Smartcast. Hello, everyone. I am Malik Madhu from Mint's Personal Finance team. In today's episode of Why Not Mint Money, I'll be speaking to Devina Mehra, founder, chairperson, and MD of First Global, about her personal finance journey. Two years ago, when COVID struck. Mint reached out to many leaders in the financial services industry to understand how the pandemic impacted their personal finances. Today, we're reaching out to people again to understand how their personal finances have shaped up in the last one year. Hi, welcome to Why Not Mint Money? A
1: personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth. So let's get started on your money journey.
0: Hi, Devina. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Malik. Uh, Great speaking with you. Look forward. So, Devina, one thing I wanted to understand, you know, what's your uh, current asset mix like? What's your percentage of your personal portfolio that's in, say, equity, debt, gold, if you have any real estate and uh, alternative assets, if you could give some numbers on that? Okay, my uh, uh, asset allocation will be
1: quite skewed towards equities, so I would think it would be close to ninety percent equity. Real estate, I don't do as investment. So the only real estate I have is the uh, the place where I still live in uh, Mumbai. But in, fact, in okay. Dubai, I have still not bought a place. So, okay. uh, so that is uh, that that I don't count towards the investment portfolio. Because that is uh, not really that that doesn't change. Because I find that anything having been in the markets, I mean, normally uh, liquidity is uh, something I put a great premium to. So generally, I would like to be in uh, instruments which are liquid and and which have a publicly traded price. So you know, my uh, bias is towards that. So. Uh, of course, right now we've increased gold a little bit, and because fixed income is not looking particularly attractive, commodities are looking attractive. So, uh, okay. so commodities also globally often where you play partly through commodity ETFs and partly through equity again. Right. So, so if I look at the global portfolio uh, right now, we would have higher than normal allocation to commodities. Okay. So Right now, it would be, you know, instead of maybe 80% uh, equity as we normally have right now, we would be sub 70% and about 15%, 16% would be commodities. I mean, part of them might be commodity equities, but in our mind, we classify it as commodity. So Um, 15, 16% commodity on the higher side. Fixed income is little on the lower side because as interest rates go up, fixed income is not a good place to be in. So,
0: so when you're saying this fifteen percent in commodities or what? So this you're talking about the first global, uh, like, or uh, you're talking about your own? I mean, personal.
1: it is more or less mirrored. I mean, my portfolio oh, okay. and the first global portfolio are not very different. So it's like okay, because okay. that, that is what one has belief in. So okay, uh, and in terms of yeah versus global again, I'll, I'm more skewed towards global. Because India is only about, you know, 3% of the world market capitalization. So, you may not be at 3%, but there is no reason Mm -hmm. to be more than 20% or so in India. I would not normally have more than, let us say, about 20% in India. And that too is also partly because of historical reasons that you have certain stocks which you continue to hold on to. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... uh, if you're looking at a portfolio today, it probably would be even a little more skewed towards global. Oh, okay. And in global. And global other one, we just a yeah. home country bias. Like just because you've been born there, yeah, you yeah. tend to be overweight, that. But uh, it true. can be, you know, I mean, now, of course, you're seeing it live in Sri Lanka. Sometime back, you saw it in Turkey. 25 years ago, you saw it in the Asian crisis. Right.
0: That being
1: in a single country can really devastate your portfolio. Mm -hmm. So that Asian crisis also, uh, uh, markets were down 50 to 90% in uh, dollar terms. So Indonesia in a year's time was down 90%, Taiwan, Thailand, South Korea, all down 50-60%. And these were not just like, these were not basket case countries. These were before that, they were Asian tigers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to be you, they were aspirational countries, and then you could be in that situation. So, I mean, that was actually, personally speaking, in my personal journey, that was a, a big lesson. So, okay. you know that. So that was what first got me thinking about going global, both as a business and, of course, at that time in you know, the personal portfolios, you did not have that flexibility because of right. this. So it was just after the Asian crisis. Just about a year after that, in '99, we became members of the London Stock Exchange. And there's not just first Indian members, but first Asian members ex-Japan. Yeah. So it, this was like a very direct thing that you realized how single country exposure can be very, very devastating. So
0: Yeah, I understand. Yeah, because I know a lot of people who have a lot of equity exposure, but, uh, you know, the India exposure is a significant chunk of it still. Yeah, yeah, most people are
1: still quite skewed towards
0: India. Mm-hmm. So, which... so, global, when you say Devina, like uh, how, how do you invest globally? I mean, is it through the fund route or direct equity? And uh, globally, like, you know, do you have like one or two large economies to which you have like a chunk of the portfolio uh, exposure?
1: Uh, so, most of the exposure is through our own product. So, we have a multi asset product uh, okay. called uh, Global Freedom Fund. So that and for for smaller investors, we have a similar product in a portfolio format also because here the minimum is 100,000. So, but uh, basically that, so I mean, normally we would have uh, normal times 70 to 80% equity, but that can change very much. I mean, just at the time of the uh, COVID crisis in yeah, yeah. Uh, February 2020, we had gone to single Equity. So we had moved almost entirely to fixed income and other assets. Really? Because Is
0: it, you, you didn't go overweight yeah. on equities at that time? No,
1: this I'm talking before the crash. After the oh, crash, we okay.
0: went back. In. Okay, so before the
1: crash, he, you know, we saw these signals uh, and... Uh, I mean later on all those things became commonplace but I remember tweeting in February 2020 you know that something unprecedented is happening because schools had shut down in uh, uh, at that time in Japan and Italy and oh, then you had these pictures of all these tourist attractions in uh, Rome with no people there so you know later on as i said we got used to those visuals but yeah, that yeah. was a first i said this did did not happen even during the world wars So something very different is happening and we thought, you know, it's best to, we took some insurance and some, wherever it was multi-asset portfolios, we got out of equity for the most part. So we were, as I said, in single-digit equity exposure, which was a pretty drastic bet to take, but it paid off. Of course, I mean, we could have done better in the sense we moved to investment grade debt, which still Mm -hmm. lost money. It was because the only thing which held up were treasuries. So even... Uh, investment grade debt debt took a hit, but obviously nothing like the equity hit, you know. Right. So, the the principle in any investing is that avoid the big loss. If you sidestep big losses, you are already ahead of the game. Sure. So, so if you are, let's say, in the COVID crisis, any fund or scheme or whatever, if they go down, let's say, you know, 35% even. So you will need a fifty percent plus rise to even come back to zero. You That's come right. Back to hundred. That's so, right. Yes. So the trick is not to have a 35 40 percent hit. Yeah, so, but sometimes
0: it's hard to predict. No, you you won't know that this is going to happen. Like you know, the same thing about you know timing the markets. You know how how often can you time you know, it? No, I mean it, 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 right. See, you
1: get some signals and also have risk control measures. Okay. We always say like in in my professional avatar we. I mean, we always say that, uh, uh, you know, uh, more than half the money you pay us to manage mm-hmm. money, you know, more than half the fees you pay us is to manage the risk. Only the balance is for the returns. So, always risk control first because uh, investing is a loser's game. Uh, so, I mean, that is that is the principle of it that, You have to, first principle is to avoid a big hit on your capital. So, loser game means that you have to make sure you remain in play. Mm -hmm. So, if you, only then your returns will come. So, uh, there is a very good article, old article, 1970s article by Charles Ellis on the loser's game. That how everything Mm -hmm. in the world is either a winner's game and a loser's game. So, very, very interesting concept that, you know, like, for example, tennis at the highest level is a winner's game that you have mm-hmm. to be very, very good yeah. uh, and serving and, and returning volleys. And whereas at the mohalla or club level, it is a loser's game. The winning strategy is just to make sure that you keep the ball in play Got it. <laughs> and the yeah. other guy will make enough mistakes for you to win. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah. And games evolve. So when investing started, it would have been a winner's game because very few people knew what was going right. on. So you could have an edge a mm-hmm. consistent edge now with data available to everyone and so many right. smart people in the market, your only edge can't be that you will be better than everyone in finding stocks. Right. I and mean, you're lucky Will if you are, if you have the skill to be right, you know, 60% of the time. Nobody is going to be right 95% of the time, let alone 100% of the time. So right. with that, you manage. And are yeah. all your investments through first global or like at least a chunk of it? Yeah, most of it is. I mean, barring as I said that there might be some stocks that you are holding historically. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. yeah
1: because, you know, like our India product is only just over two years old
0: and i think you also mentioned about gold so gold and other commodities do you have like some like a 4 5% exposure there at the moment
1: other commodities in global uh, in the global portfolio as i told you is about 15 16% currently
0: okay okay
1: that includes commodities and commodity stocks we normally we classify
0: yeah. both as commodities got it got it oh, so even the equity one where you're investing in uh, commodity companies and yeah, that in, in in our
1: system, we classify it as commodity because, you know, okay, so got some it. commodity ETF some might be commodity stocks also.
0: Okay, and this is gold and
1: other commodities? Yeah, gold will be some, yeah, there'll be some gold, there'll be oil and gas, there will be metals, okay. so all, all together.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Okay, so yeah, so just I'm trying to get the numbers right. So you said your uh, equity, so whatever investments, personal investments you have, you said around 90% is in equity, whether global or Indian. Indian, you said, is just about maybe 20%. The rest is uh, global. Uh, That leaves about 10%. So within that, I'm trying to... um, Yeah, and uh, not actually currently. As I said, currently
1: it would be... uh, uh right now because normally our global fund is over 80% in equities right now it is between 65 and 70% somewhere so right now probably my equity exposure will not be 90% exactly because you know that's okay. a dynamic number so so this year uh it would be uh, right now because commodity if i if i classify commodity equities also as commodity then The commodity exposure is relatively higher just now. So it's that 15-16% is in commodities.
0: Oh, okay. So, um, So the equity part would be, so the equity including the commodity bit would be roughly like how much then?
1: Roughly would be 86%, 85-86%, or something like
0: that. Okay. In fact, I had a question on, you know, what's your equity exposure division between large, mid and small cap? But since you are mostly, you know, invested in global uh, equity, I don't know in a global context, I'm sure, you know. uh, No, I mean, in in mm -hmm. India, I mean, I have still about, as I said, about
1: 20% exposure to India. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not that Zero, but uh, I- I- again, uh, as part of our risk control, one thing which we focus on a lot is liquidity. Okay. And often in small caps, we find that liquidity might be great even when you are buying, but when you try to sell, the liquidity might disappear. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. part of the whole risk control and preventing the big loss, mm-hmm. we limit our exp- small cap. So, okay. even when we know our systems are showing that small caps will do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we might only go up to a maximum of maybe 15% or so in small caps.
0: Okay. And that
1: too, I mean, with, with reasonable liquidity. And small caps we define as between 1000 crore and 5000 crore market cap. We oh, okay. don't go below 1000 generally. Okay. So okay. now also we would be somewhere in the 12 to 15% range in small
0: cap. Okay. Okay. 12 to 15% of your 20% in Indian equity.
1: In India, yes, yes. Got it,
0: got it,
1: okay. Basically, I mean, just try to limit risk. So, got it, we, okay. So, we, as I said, risk for us is like many layered. So, it is right from liquidity, position sizing, things like that, on to stop losses. So, okay. so stop losses also, we are very strict. So, like, for example, last quarter, I mean, a lot number of stop losses were hit. Oh, okay. They are hit we exit so we don't like uh, we say it's a human plus machine model on the investing side Mm -hmm. uh, on the buying side but on the (laughs) sell side we don't have a human intervention so you know I cannot go and override the risk system if the system is saying sell I can't go and say that no no this time it's different this stock will Mm -hmm. do well let's hold to it that is not allowed so uh, yeah I mean you keep to the rules because the human mind can mislead you I mean, human beings are inherently biased in their thinking and no matter how many books you read on biases, and I have read quite a few, you cannot actually eliminate it from your own thinking. It is like an optical illusion. Mm -hmm. You can see an illusion, you can be told how it works, (laughs) but your brain will still continue to see it.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so this is again one other thing we'd like to know so um you know like since march 2020 we've seen you know all kinds of things happening with the markets so is there any particular investment strategy you know that you tried out in the last one year and which worked really well and uh, also anything that you tried out that didn't work well or went you know really wrong so something you know if you'd like to share on that
1: right so uh, so broadly, of course, uh, things have gone well. One thing which, yeah, if you look at the global funds, mm-hmm. uh, one thing, of course, was that uh, last year, you know, when we say global, our funds are truly global. So that means that they are not global. doesn't mean that I go and buy a Nasdaq ETF and call it global or buy, you know, 15 Nasdaq stocks and call it global. So it it, it is actually multi-geography and multi-asset. Okay. So, last year was not such a great year for being in a number of markets in the sense that U.S. outperformed, and not just U.S. within U.S., a very narrow list of stocks outperformed. Okay. So, if you S&P returns, it came from just twenty stocks. Okay. So, so that is, and and this is also interesting that emerging markets actually went down last year. So emerging markets, I think, were down 7 or 8% for mm-hmm. 2021. So I mean, uh, a riskier strategy would have performed better last year than our more diversified, less risky strategy. So in okay, okay. Uh, 2020, our strategy like outperformed by a wild, wide margin. So we were like up, uh, I think, nearly. 33 or 34% for the, for 2020, which uh, nobody was, uh, again, we were like right up there on a risk-adjusted basis. We were in the top 2% of global funds.
0: Then uh, I think, Davina, that kind of brings me to my last question. I mean, of course, uh, you know, you eat, drink and live investments only. Do you have like, would you like to, you know, have like, I mean, two, you know, pieces of advice or something that you'd like to give to regular investors saying, you know, this is where at least you can start or this is the basic that An investor
1: must do yeah so two or three things one of course first of all know your current asset allocation and this is this this i am saying is not trivial because not just small retail investors i have found that even large family offices often don't have an idea of what their actual asset allocation is. You know, someone might vaguely say, yeah, I think we are mostly in global fixed income. But when you do the numbers, you will find that their largest allocation is to India real estate or something. So, you know, so first of all, know where you are, because unless you know where you are, you can't go where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And the two areas of focus should be asset allocation and risk control. Okay. So this, that, I mean, I, that has been my mantra for...
0: By risk control, again, like you said, know when to, you know, get in, get out. I mean, try to at least minimize your Uh risks even if you can't. Uh And and basically have a system
1: that, as I say, that, you know, the easiest hack in the world is that when you invest in something, first of all, uh, tell yourself that I can be wrong. Because, you know, even if you are the best investor in the world, Mm -hmm. you will be wrong at least 30, 40% of the time, if not more. Mm -hmm. So, if you tell yourself otherwise, the human tendency is not to admit mistakes, and therefore you continue with things which are negative for too long. So, and have a stop loss and other risk control measures decided upfront. Mm -hmm. Mm On the fly, you will not be able to make that decision. So, you have to be you you make your rules, you be clinical about the rules, and then don't try to override the rules.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah.
1: Manage things more closely, both for yourself and for your clients.
0: Devina, thanks very much for sharing your personal finance experience with us. It was great to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Malik. Uh, my pleasure.
0: Uh, so listeners, that's it for now. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any personal finance questions, you can email them to us at mintmoney at or you can reach out to me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at molek underscore Madhu. That is M-A-U-L-I-K underscore M-A-D-H-U. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.